so if you have a Bible handy, do turn to um, Luke chapter 10. Uh, we're picking up in from verse 25. Uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 25. If you've got a Bible handy, do um, turn to it. And uh, we have reached a um, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, so we all know the story and we all know what it's about and we all know the point. So I don't really need to preach about it. I could just read it and then we'll go home. Because uh, we all think we know what the story is about. But uh, do we? So I'm going to read uh, Luke chapter 10, uh, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, Who is my neighbour? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Father, thank you for your words to us this morning. Thank you that your word is always fresh and always has something new to say to us. May our hearts and minds be open this morning and attentive to your word. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we all know what this story is about. It's a morality tale about being like the Samaritan and not like the priest or the Levite. So we read the story and we put ourselves in the shoes or the sandals of the priest and the Levite and the Samaritan and we find ourselves challenged to Act like the Samaritan and uh, step beyond our comfort zones and look after the, you know, the outcasts. And that's what it's all about. And that is what it's all about. But that's not what it's all, all about. If that makes any kind of sense. So the first thing is just to just remind ourselves that when, the, when Luke set out to write his gospel, when all the gospel writers write their gospels, they don't write, um, the chapters aren't there, the little subheadings that we have aren't there, the, the, the verse numbers aren't there. It's written as a continuous narrative. So we always have to think, well, it's not just a load of stories put down in random order. The gospel writers have, you know, they're thinking about the progression through their gospel. So everything connects. So every 
thing that we read, it connects to with what's gone before and it connects with what's coming after. And so we just have to kind of remind ourselves of that and think, well, what has just come before? And last Sunday, we just reminded ourselves that Jesus has said to his disciples privately, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. Uh, For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it and hear what you hear, but did not hear it. So what is it that they're seeing and what is it that they are hearing? Well, they're, they're seeing Jesus. They're hearing what he said and they're watching what he's doing. And so Luke very deliberately puts this story here because it beautifully illustrates what they're seeing and what they're hearing. Because this parable is not just a morality tale. It's, it illustrates the character of Jesus and it tells us everything about who Jesus is. And the clue to understanding um, this parable comes in verse 33. And in verse 33 we read this. A Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. And it's that verb, he took pity on him, that I would like to suggest um, unlocks the meaning of this parable. Because the verb that is translated, he took pity on him, this verb is only used in the whole of the New Testament of Jesus. The verb that is translated, took pity on him, is only used of Jesus, or it's used in three parables that Jesus tells. It's used in this parable, it's used in a parable in Matthew's Gospel, in Matthew chapter 18. Some of you will be familiar with Um, An occasion where um, Jesus is challenging his disciples to forgive those who sin them. And and Peter says, well, how many times shall I forgive forgive my enemy? Seven times. And Jesus says, no, 77 times. And then he tells a story about a a man, who a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And a servant comes to the king and he owes him 10,000 talents. That's like us owing like a billion pounds. It's an unpayable debt. And the servant begs for the king to have mercy on him. And we read in uh, Matthew 18, verse 27, the servant's master took pity on him. It's the same verb. So it's describing what God is like, because that's the subject of the story. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt and let him go. And that's what Jesus does for us. He cancels our debt, our debt of sin, and lets us go. The other parable in which this verb is used is one that we'll come to in a few weeks' time. In the story of the father who has two sons and the younger son takes his inheritance, goes off, squanders it and then crawls his way back home begging for mercy from his father. And you'll know the story in Luke chapter 15 verse uh, verse 14. Um, The father is filled with compassion for him. It's the same verb. The verb that's translated took pity on him, it's the same verb, took compassion on him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. So this verb is only ever used to describe Jesus or in a parable that is describing and telling us what God is like. And Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Do you see where we are, uh, where we're going with this? So Luke uses the verb in this parable because... The Samaritan is Jesus. That's the point. The Samaritan is acting as Jesus acts. The Samaritan is the outcast 
Jesus is also an outcast in his own community. Isaiah tells us that Jesus, the Messiah, is despised and rejected. All through his three years of public ministry, Jesus is the outcast from his own people. He's despised and rejected. But Luke identifies the Samaritan for us as Jesus. So so then we have to ask the question, well, if Jesus in the story is the Samaritan, well, where do we fit in? Because we're now no longer thinking about putting ourselves in the shoes of, at the moment, of the Samaritan, the priest or the Levite. Because Jesus is in the shoes of the Samaritan. So whose shoes do we fill? Whose sandals do we fill in the story? Well, we are the one who was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. Who stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. If Jesus is the Samaritan, if Jesus is our neighbour, we're the one in need of a neighbour and we're the one who has fallen and who has been beaten up and is in, who have, is in need of rescue. And who is going to come to rescue us? Remember Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. The gar- in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve dwell in the presence of God. They live in the very presence of God. And then they fall. They reject God. They turn from God's ways. They break their relationship with God. And they fall away from the presence of God. And when they leave the garden, which direction do they head off in? Uh, Well, they head due east. Because angels are put on the gate to the garden to guard the way to the tree of life. Jerusalem is the place where God's presence resides in the temple. That's where people go to worship God in the the Holy of Holies in the temple is the very presence of God. And this man leaves Jerusalem. He leaves the place where God is present and he descends. He descends to Jericho. It's a very steep descent, a thousand feet over 23 miles. It's a very steep road down and Jericho is Due east of Jerusalem. So the man leaves the presence of God. He falls away towards Jericho. He goes due east and he falls into the hands of robbers who strip him of his clothes, beat him and leave him half dead. What happens to Adam and Eve when they leave the Garden of Eden? Whose hands do they fall into? At whose hands do they end up rejecting God and being excluded from God's presence? Well, they fall into the hand of their adversary. They fall into the hands of the Satan. They fall into the hands of the one who, um, who desires simply to destroy all the good things that God has created, of which we are the pinnacle. Uh, in John's Gospel, John chapter 10 and verse 20, Jesus says that the thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy. That's Satan's agenda. That's our spiritual adversary that, adversary that we war against. is one who wants to steal, kill and destroy. And we are the object of his destruction. So when we read about this man who went from Jerusalem to Jericho, fell into the hands of robbers, he stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Well, that's our condition as those whose relationship with God is broken. In, um, again, in, uh, in John's Gospel, uh, in uh, uh, John chapter 12 and verse 31, uh, Jesus says, Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. The prince of this world will be driven out. As in this world, 
We don't live in a neutral spiritual sphere. Don't get the words out. We either live under the influence of the Lord Jesus Christ or we live under the influence of the devil. There are only two camps to be in. We're either in one or the other. And if we live under the influence of Satan, then like it or not, he's the one who strips us of our clothes, strips us of the identity that we were created to have, the identity that we've sung about this morning, our identity as children of God. Satan strips us of that identity, beats us and leaves us half dead. And we need a rescuer. We need someone to save us. Which is why when the priest and the Levite come along, they're no good. What they have to offer is no good. Religion can't save us from the condition that we find ourselves in. If our relationship with God is broken, religion isn't going to fix it. Because what religion says is, well, what you need to do is obey the rules, obey the law. Why is Jesus an outcast? Why in this parable does Luke give Jesus the identity of a, of, of a Samaritan? It seems bizarre. Well, it's because Jesus is regarded as, as the lawbreaker. He's the one beyond the pale. That's why he's criticised all through his ministry. That's why the, the Pharisees and the scribes and the teachers of the law hate him. Because he breaks the law. And the whole thing about religion is, well, you've got to obey the law if you want to be in right relationship with God. That's why the expert in the law in verse 25 asks the question. Because he wants to be reassured that he's doing the right thing. And he wants Jesus to, you know, to tell him, well, you need to obey the law because it's through obedience to the law that you remain in right relationship with God. It's in obedience to the law that you hasten the coming of the Messiah. Which is why Orthodox Jews today are devoted to understanding and applying the Torah, the law of God. Because if you obey the law, that will hasten the coming of the Messiah. They're still waiting for the Messiah to come. They missed him 2,000 years ago because it didn't look like what they were expecting. Because it was all about law and Jesus is the lawbreaker. Some of you will remember that a couple of years ago we studied the book of Hebrews. It's a book of I don't know, uh, 13 chapters, I think, I hope. Uh, but it's a long book. And basically, I said numerous times when we were doing that study, the whole message of the book of Hebrews can be summed up in one sentence, which is this. All the law does is point out the problem. It cannot solve the problem. That's what the book of Hebrews is written. It's written to a Jewish community to basically say, all the law does is point out the problem. It can't solve it. So the law says, don't steal. Does the law help you not steal if that's what you're tempted to do? No. All it does is it says you must not steal. It gives you no help whatsoever not to steal. It points out the fact that you need a saviour. Because there are so many things the law, the standards of God require you not to do that you cannot help but do. The law just tells us that we need a saviour. So the priest and the Levite, when they come down the road, they're of no help. Because all they've got to offer is religion. All they've got to offer is the law. And that's not going to fix his problem, not going to fix our problem. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was. He came where the man was. What does Jesus do? What's the whole point of the life of Jesus? It's about God 
coming to us in the mess of our lives and the mess of our existence. John chapter 1 verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus comes to be with us where we are in the brokenness of our lives, in the place where we have been beaten up by the devil, in the place where we have lost our identity as children of God, our clothes have been stolen. The Samaritan comes to the man where he is. He crosses over the road and when he saw him, he took pity on him. The, the strength of this verb is it's, it's, he is, is moved in his bowels. That's the meaning of it. It is, it is like so deeply moved with compassion. It's an incredibly strong word of action, which is why it's only used of Jesus, because it's describing the compassion of God. He's moved with compassion. He went to him, he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. That's what Jesus does for us. In these days in which we live, we need to wake up to the fact that we need a saviour. As a nation, we need a saviour. As a, as, as a world, we need a saviour. That's why these things are happening. I, at the start of the service, I read some verses from 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. And in that passage, um, God says to his people, he says, basically, look, when things go wrong, when things go wrong with the world, wake up and turn back to me. Because when things go wrong with the world, it is a sign that your relationship with me has been damaged. It's a sign that your relationship with me has been broken. And if you want to fix the problems in the world, the first thing you've got to fix is your relationship with me. Wake up and smell the coffee. That bit's not in two chronicles. I just made that bit up. But basically that's what God says. He says, look, if there's a problem in the world, it's a sign that something's broken. And you need to work out what's really broken. And instead of putting plasters on these huge wounds, you've got to look to a saviour. You've got to come to me and cry out to me for mercy. That's the whole point. Because Jesus is the one who comes to bind up our wounds. We are beaten up and we need a saviour and he's the one who comes. He put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. Jesus wants to take care of us in the circumstances in which we find ourselves. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Two silver coins. A silver coin was a day's wages. So the, so the Samaritans say, I'm going to go away for two days and then I'm going to come back. When I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So the Samaritan is saying, I'm going to go away for two days and then on the third day, I'm going to come back. Does that ring any bells? On the third day, I'm going to come back? On the third day, Jesus came back. He spent two days in the tomb and on the third day he came back. I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Jesus is the Samaritan. He's the outcast. He's the one who has been rejected. We are the ones who find ourselves 
beaten up on the road because we've left the presence of God and we've walked away and we've been attacked and we found ourselves in the hands of robbers who stripped us of our clothes and we are in need of a saviour and guess what? The saviour has come. The saviour who loves us. Yes, you can cheer. That's allowed. (laughs) The saviour has come and we need a saviour. He's come and he's here and he wants to bind up our wounds. He wants to pour on the oil of healing. He wants to restore us. He wants to put us in a place where we are cared for. So Jesus says to this um, expert in the law, which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Who do you think is your neighbour? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. The one who had mercy on him. The point of the story is to understand that Jesus is the one through whom God extends his mercy to a broken world. That's why it illustrates what many prophets and kings wanted to see and did not see it. What were they longing for? The prophets and the kings, what did they long to see? They longed to see the hand of God extended into a broken world. They longed to see the kingdom of God come. They knew that their world was broken. And they longed for the day when God would step in and bring mercy and healing and redemption and restoration and salvation. So Jesus tells a parable about the fact that that's exactly what God has done in Jesus. He's the saviour that we need. In these days where we are faced with so much uncertainty, when we see our political leaders struggling to contain a virus that is, is almost beyond them, we need to wake up to the fact that we need a saviour. We need one who is beyond and above all of these things and who uses them for his own purposes. And in these days where we are struggling and in this month of lockdown where many people are going to be struggling, people are going to be isolated, people are going to be losing their jobs, people are fearful for the future, we need a saviour. And God sent one. And so right at the end where Jesus says... um, Go and do likewise, because he's correctly identified who the Samaritan is. Jesus is saying, as we've seen so many times in this gospel, he's basically saying to his disciples, he's saying to us, be like me. Be like me. Act as I like. Remember um, a few Sundays ago when the, uh, you know, um, the disciples were, um, they don't get a warm welcome in a village and, and the disciples say, you know, shall we call down fire from heaven and, you know, blast them off and face the earth? And Jesus says, no. He says, be like me because God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. That's what he's like. Jesus all the time is saying, be like me. Last, it was last Sunday or the Sunday before when Jesus sends out the 70 and he says, when you enter a house, first say, peace. Peace to this house. He says, be like me, because that's what God does. He comes to us, and the first thing he says is, peace. I come in peace. Will you respond to the love that I'm offering you? At the beginning, we kind of, you know, when we read it, and I think we immediately thought, oh, well, Jesus is telling us to go and be like the Good Samaritan. 
And that's exactly what we're supposed to be like. But we have to understand that the Good Samaritan is identifying the character of Jesus. So yes, it's not just about going and being a good person and looking after our neighbour. Because anybody can do that. You don't have to be a Christian, you don't have to be a follower of Jesus to look after your neighbour. There's more to this parable than that. Jesus is saying, first and foremost, be like me. Well, how do we become like Jesus? Well, we have to humble ourselves. Because you only start following Jesus once you realise that you need a saviour. And you only realise that you need a saviour once you realise that actually you are on the road. Away from the presence of God. And that you've been beaten up. And that your true identity, the identity that you were created for, has been stolen from you. And you need a saviour. So let us be um, challenged. Let's be encouraged this morning. Let's rejoice in the fact that Jesus came to save us. And in these days, call out to him. Because he's the one who always crosses the road to be with us. He's the one who comes to be where we are. And in these, um, you know, in these next weeks, particularly when we are um, perhaps feeling um, discouraged, perhaps when we're having our low moments, let's cry out to the God who comes to us. And let's be like Jesus to those who are around us. Let's reach out with mercy and compassion, with the arms of a saviour, to those who need to know him, to those who are lost and lonely in this world. So let's, um, let's take a few moments, let's pray. Let's um, respond in our own hearts and minds.